Blog Talk Radio. of Eastern Airlines is on the air again. We're talking about our favorite way to fly. That would be Eastern Airlines. We're on twice weekly now, Thursday afternoon with the REPA, the Retired Eastern Pilots Association REPA Radio Hour at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and the Eastern Airlines Radio Show every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Both broadcasts are live call-in shows. We welcome your comments on the air. Our hosts are from around the U.S. and our listeners from around the world. That's right. Over 50 countries now around the world have been identified who regularly listen to the show. We're glad you're with us tonight. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern Captain and the producer of the show. I hope you enjoy tonight's broadcast. And I might add here to stick around as we have breaking news with Mark Porter about the New Eastern Airlines. He updates us every Monday evening. You'll surely want to hear this immediately following tonight's program. We start our show tonight. Before we start our show, we would like to offer our sorrow and sympathy to Colleen DeFelice and her family at the loss of Colleen's brother. Please know you have our deepest sympathy, Colleen, following the loss of your brother and best friend. The radio show host, family, and friends are here to help share your grief, to relive your memories of him if you would like to tell us when we meet again here on the show. He did some amazing things with children by bringing much happiness into their young lives each year. Dorothy has put his obituary on the radio show uh, on our website. I hope you will visit the EALradioshow.com and see his picture and resume. And now, Chuck Albright, our announcer, will get the show in the air. Chuck, it's all yours. Well, thank you very much, and hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, and information. As he said, my name is Chuck Albright. I'm coming to you live from the village of Florida. Our producer, Captain Neal, is in St. Augustine, and our hosts are scattered all over the country. Let's start up in the New York, Long Island area with Captain Mike Scott on the other side of the island, 
as Captain George Jen, Dorothy and Don Gagnon. They, I have had the pleasure of having dinner over at their house because they're only a couple of miles away in the villages also. Jim and Carrie Holder in the Atlanta area, Larry Lundquist, Harry Lundquist over in the Baltimore area, and Mike Potter, our Eastern 3.0 reporter, is in the Miami area. Hello, one and all. Mr. Producer, if you see any of our regulars, please t let me know so I can include them. From all our hosts, welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show over the past nine-plus years. You've truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. We love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello and talk to us on the air live every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Many of our listeners choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Now remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visit, 213-816-1611. By the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing and now up to 1,052 Eastern family and friends. Don't forget, you can listen in to any of our 470 Monday night broadcasts and our 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. And we're nearing our 600th episode now, and all because of listeners like you wanting to talk about Eastern Airlines. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our hosts, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering <clears throat> out background noises, such as barking dogs and slamming doors and ice cubes in the beverages and ringing phones. That's why they put mute features on. And now we are number one. We're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight four seven two in the air. Eastern four seven three. This is Fort Lauderdale Tower. You're cleared for takeoff. Wind 10024, runway 13 right, cliff, takeoff. Yeah, Roger, 473, uh, tower, we're on, his, on
she's awkward. <clears throat> um, not very friendly. Ah, oh, but she's too young. Oh, she's, uh, oh, she bites nails. She wears glasses. Uh, 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 honey, uh, no, no, the other, uh, oh, now, oh, she's married. Well, uh, well. Eastern presents The Losers. Immature. 19 out of 20 girls we see never get to be an Eastern Airlines stewardess. They're probably good enough to get a job anywhere they want. But at Eastern, we're very choosy about whom we let serve you on a plane. It may make our job a lot harder, but it makes your flying a lot easier. We want everyone to fly. Oh, the girl with the glasses. Uh, no, the, uh, honey, uh, wait, uh, if you... on time. Well, you know the only way to get out of LaGuardia. You know, what's that? Fly to JFK. Buddy. <laughs> Fuel quantity verified. 19,000 pounds required. We got 21 plane on board. 19,000 pounds required. 21 plane on board. Cactus View of the Hudson. I'll never get over how beautiful it is up here. Life's easier in the air. Yes, it is. Birds. Well. Seatbelt, 
do you think that was? I think it was a bird strike. Then we're going back to LaGuardia. Yeah. Get out the QR right. Lots of thrust on both engines. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. This is Cactus 1549. We hit birds. Maintain 15000, Delta 331. We've lost thrust on both engines. We are turning back towards LaGuardia. Okay, you need to return to LaGuardia? Turn left heading 220. 220. Which engine did you lose? Both. Both engines. Sue? Yep. I have an emergency. What's the report? Both engines. What? Both engines gone. No thrust. LaGuardia says go to runway 13. Tower, stop your departure. Got an emergency returning. 1549, bird strike. He lost both engines. Returning immediately. Which engine? He lost thrust in both engines, he said. Cactus 1549, if we can get it for you, do you want to try to land runway 13? We are unable. We may end up at the Hudson. I got an A320 diving for the river. I'll stack all the inbounds to LaGuardia. Let's put a hold on the tower, please. Come on, guys, standpoint. What about uh, over to our right? Anything in uh, New Jersey, maybe Teterboro? Teterboro Tower, I need a runway. Cactus 1549 needs to go to the airport right now. Newark Tower, what have you got? You have runway 29 clear and ready. Uh, you need emergency landing? Yes. Okay, yeah, off your right side is Teterboro Airport. Of course, we all know uh, U.S. Air Flight 1549, Miracle on the Hudson, as it's now referred to. And uh, that was a scene in the movie, Sully. Uh, I hope all of our listeners have seen that picture, that motion picture. It was well done, well presented. And I compared both the actual voice of the uh, crew, Sully and his his first officer, and uh, it was very, very, very close to what you just heard, uh, dramatized by Tom Hanks. And uh, Jim Holder, I'm going to let you start. Uh, we're not going to use the next uh, video sound clip. It's pretty much re referencing the U.S. air flight uh, hitting flock of birds. But Jim, uh, we have a, a scenario here of a Eastern flight uh, out of uh, LaGuardia, I believe it was, or Logan. So can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, Neil, I'll be glad to. That was November 5533 on Eastern Electrum. That their crew came into Logan, Boston, like you said. It was Eastern Flight 444 from New York's LaGuardia Airport. The Electra and crew then turned around in Boston as Flight 375, which was scheduled to fly down to Philadelphia and then on to Charlotte, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia. The pilots had filed an IFR flight plan that would have had the aircraft cruising to Philadelphia at 10,000 feet. And at 5.35 p.m. that evening, the aircraft pulled away from the terminal, taxied to the threshold of runway 09 that were going to take off to the east. The tower cleared it for takeoff at 5.39 p.m. And, Mike, how about telling us what happened next? Sure, Jim. Uh, the takeoff was normal until approximately six seconds after liftoff. At that point, the aircraft encountered a large flock of starlings. The aircraft veered to the left for the moment and then resumed the runway heading. At a height of about 120 feet, small birds were sucked into the turbopropeller engines, causing the propeller and number one engine to be feathered and shut down. 
Uh, engines are number two and four. Lost thrust momentarily but recovered. At a height of about 200 feet, the airplane veered to the left again and sank nose up about 100 feet in altitude. It then rolled to the left, the nose dropped, and the aircraft crashed into Winthrop Bay. And I believe, Harry, do you have a little more on this? Yeah, Mike. Uh, the fuselage broke into two pieces. Eight passengers and two flight attendants in the rear section were thrown out of their seats and were quickly picked up by boats already in the bay. The front section sank to the bottom of the bay, taking the majority of the passengers and the flight crew with it. A Navy Reserve commander who arrived at the scene of the accident shortly afterwards stated many passengers were stuck in their seats. They just, they just couldn't get out of their seats and unable to get out before sinking into the bay, even though there was pretty shallow water. Uh, they just went down. The entire accident sequence from the beginning of takeoff to the impact in the water took less than one minute. Well, uh, Harry, here's what they found. Investigators with the Civil Aeronautics Board, the predecessor of the NTSB, determined that engines number one, two, and four had each ingested at least one bird and that number one engine had ingested at least eight birds. The bird damage caused number one propeller to auto feather and the engine to shut down. At the same time, the damage to number two and number four engines <clears throat> prevented those engines from developing full power at a critical stage of flight. The aircraft, unable to climb, went into a stall. The power interrupted to the port engines probably caused the left wing to stall, the wing dropped, and the aircraft crashed into the water. There, were no, there was no evidence that birds had crashed into the, the windshield. Windscreen reduced the pilot's visibility. In addition, bird remains had clogged the pitot tubes, making the pilot's airspeed indicators unreadable. Yes, John, it was eventually determined that turboprop engines, such as those on the Electra, were highly sensitive to damage from bird strikes. The CAB recommended to the CAA that the predecessor of the FAA that steps to be taken to reduce the damage caused by bird strikes to turbine engines and that ways be found to reduce the population of birds around the airports. Well, Dorothy, they also discovered another possible factor that came to light later was a maintenance defect in the co-pilot seat. During civil litigation by the family of a deceased passenger, it was discovered that the airplane's maintenance records showed that the adjustable seat had accidentally slid backward during a takeoff about six weeks prior to Flight 375. And rather than perform the proper repair of replacing a metal rod, a mechanic had used a strand of wire. A subsequent maintenance check on September 19th showed that the co-pilot seat would not lock in any position. It was left in that condition. Expert testimony at, during the trial claimed that the co-pilot of Flight 375, who during an emergency would typically be flying the plane, while the pilot attempts to locate and solve the problem, 
most likely push the rudder pedal to compensate for the unexpected yaw. In doing so, however, it was surmised that this foot pressure caused the seat to slide backward, which caused him to pull back on the control column, possibly causing the stall. Jim? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, listen. Right here in Atlanta on February 26, 1973, a private Learjet 24 crashed shortly after takeoff in DeKalb Peachtree Airport in Chamblee, that's near Atlanta, part of Atlanta, Georgia. The aircraft was registration 45 for Romeo November, owned by a private corporation, and it stuck birds shortly after lifting off. The tower controllers advised the flight crew that smoke was trailing from their left engine. The crew said they would not be able to return to the airport. The aircraft then impacted the roof of an apartment building and came to rest in a ravine. All five passengers and two crew members aboard the aircraft were killed. A person in the apartment building suffered severe burns. Our producer remembers it well as he had an office at the airport when it happened. An investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, that's the NTS, confirmed that the aircraft had impacted birds during takeoff. Due to loss of power in the left engine, the flight crew were unable to control their aircraft before it struck the roof of the apartment building. The investigation further determined that the FAA, Federal Administration, Administration, Aviation Administration, I'll get this right, and officials at the Cab Peachtree Airport were aware of the danger of the airport after a landfill site had opened in the vicinity airport some 10 years before the accident. And yet they did nothing during those years to figure out the possible hazard of garbage birds. That's just amazing. 10 years. Uh, George, instead of playing that U.S. Air 1549 tape again, uh, sound clip, would you tell us a little bit about the U.S. Airways flight? Sure, I'd be happy to, Neil. Uh, U.S. Airways flight 1549 was an Airbus A320, which during climb out after takeoff from uh, LaGuardia Airport on January 15, 2009, struck a flock of Canadian geese less than five miles northwest of the airport and subsequently lost all engine power. Unable to reach any airport, the pilots Chelsea Sullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles glided the plane to a ditching in the Hudson River off midtown Manhattan. You heard at the beginning of the show, as you heard at the beginning of the show, the reenactment, the reenactment of the pilots' actions to save all 155 people aboard were rescued by nearby boats, and there were no serious injuries. Clint Eastwood even made a movie out of the accident entitled The Miracle on the Hudson, which starred Tom Hanks as Sully Sullenberger. Indeed, this water landing of a powerless jetliner came to be commonly known after that as The Miracle on the Hudson, and a National Transportation Safety Board official described it as, quote, the most successful ditching in aviation history, unquote. The board rejected the notion that the pilot could have avoided ditching by returning to LaGuardia or diverting to nearby Teterboro Airport. The pilots and flight attendants were awarded the Master's Medal of, Medal of the Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators in recognition of their heroic and unique aviation achievement. Jim? Yeah, 
uh, you know, I, I put a little comment in here. Uh, I was down at my hangar at Griffin, Georgia, working on my airplane, and I got a call from my ex-wife on the on my cell phone. And she said, Jim, you're not going to believe this. There's an airplane. I just saw it on television. It's floating down the Hudson River, and all of the passengers <laughs> are standing on the wing. And I said, Linda, you got to quit drinking in the afternoon, you know. <laughs> 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 I'm not kidding you. I thought she was going crazy. But anyhow, George, <laughs> 10 years after Flight 1549's collision with this flock of large birds, pilots and airports report as many bird strikes as ever. Civilian flights based in the USA report 14,661 collisions with wildlife in 2018. And that's more than just birds. It's deer, deer on runways and all that kind of stuff. That's what a USA Today analysis of Federal Aviation Administration data shows. That's more than 40 a day. That's unbelievable. A tie in the previous year's record. The strikes have been blamed in more than 106 civilian deaths worldwide over the past two decades, according to British and Canadian researchers. And they cause about $1.2 billion a year in damage. Why so many collisions? Analysts cite several factors. An increase in flights. That may be changing a little bit. Changing migratory <laughs> patterns, bigger, faster, quieter, turbofan-powered aircraft, which give the birds less time to get out of the way. They're bigger and wider, uh, and probably the noises may have a factor, too. The engines are bigger and wider. One of the biggest factors might be better reporting. The FAA has worked to improve the voluntary reporting system since Sullenberger guided U.S. Airways Flight 1649 and all of its 155 passengers to safety as we've just been talking about, after a flock of geese took out both engines in 2009. Mike? Yes, Jim, uh, that number certainly has been steadily increasing ever since the miracle on the Hudson. Says Chris Oswald, Vice President of Airports Council International of North America. A lot of that, and I can only say a lot because it's hard to know, has to do with outreach activities. He says... The industry is concerned that the change in, in bird populations and especially the boom in larger birds could pause, uh, pause, uh, pose a, a continued danger to the aircraft. Biologists and aviation safety officials are engaged in the never-ending cat-and-mouse games in the effort to shoo, move, or kill birds in the nation's flight paths. The FAA reports uh, uh, show a disruptive uh, and how disruptive and potentially dangerous the bird strikes can be. Carrie, I believe you have a couple more uh, uh, stories on this airliner bird strikes in your archives there. Yes, Mike. On December 22nd, a Republic Airlines flight to Minneapolis hit what the pilot said looked like a hawk while taking off from George Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston. Five engine blades were damaged, causing the plane to vibrate and the pilot to make an emergency landing. Blood was found in the engine, but the bird's remains were never found. And then, on a Monday after Thanksgiving, a JetBlue flight in Portland, Oregon, hit a Canadian goose just after liftoff. Crew and passengers felt the impact and heard a loud thud, but the pilot thought it was a blown tire. After circling the airport and burning fuel for 30 minutes, the crew saw the tires were intact, but the flaps were damaged. They landed and discovered a 6 to 8-inch hole in the right flap and a 12-inch dent in the engine. They were lucky. Harry? 
thanks, Carrie. Now, now here's what we know about studies made by Boeing and the FAA. As Boeing points out, bird strikes occur at various aircraft locations, but usually inflict most damage to the engines. And this, if you're an engineer or math whiz, airplane damage and effect on flight from bird strikes are closely correlated to kinetic energy derived from the mass as determined by the bird species. Uh, you know, the larger the bird, the more effect it's going to have. And the velocity of collision squared, a 20% increase in speed raises the kinetic energy by 44%. Just how many engine bird strikes occur for civil aviation? A report on statistics for the U.S., which includes U.S. registered aircraft in foreign countries, for the recent quarter century, which is 1990 to 2015. During these 25 years, 17,494 jet engines were struck in 16,694 bird strike events. Out of these, 4,516 engines were damaged in 4,330 bird strike events. 4,227 events with one engine damaged, 141 with two engines damaged, and that was the uh, case in the Hudson Landing event, one with three engines damaged, and one with four engines damaged. These U.S. statistics indeed show that bird ingestion in commercial jet engines is significant, and even more so when combined with records from the rest of the flight world. Current statistics show that incidents of commercial aircraft jet engine bird ingestion are increasing and are considered to be a continuing challenge over the next decade. Factors that contribute to this threat are increasing populations of large birds and increased air traffic by quieter, turbofan-powered aircraft. Dorothy, are there tests by the aircraft manufacturers when certifying an aircraft? Yes, Harry, they're supposed to be. Um, All of the commercial jet engines must comply with bird ingestion regulations established by the regulatory authorities, such as the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA as it's called, and the European Aviation Safety Agency, EASA. These regulations involve certification testing, of commercial jet engines for bird ingestion, calling for demonstration of an engine's ability to ingest birds in small, medium, and large categories at takeoff power and still maintain a specified level of performance. Recently, ESSA worked with other age authorities is proposing additional bird ingestion testing requirements for an engine operated under climb conditions following the ingestion of a medium-sized bird into the engine core. The test engine must continue to operate with a fan speed representative of climb conditions and then approach conditions for a safe landing. If the test engine includes features that prevent bird material from entering the core, the engine should continue to operate at approach conditions after the ingestion. Don, I think you have something to say? Uh, Yes, Dorothy. It seems that the major findings in the EASA-led proposal is that current tests don't result in enough bird mass reaching the engine core where it can be led to significant power loss. 
They want to increase the threat of mass bird size and or mount number and to adjust the engine RPM and bird velocity to increase the chance for a bird to get through to fan blades to reach the core, as so happened in the Hudson incident. They are later, they also are replacing priority on doing a run-on test of the engine after the strike to validate its ability to safe landing. Fame blade design have advanced where blade failure is not the issue, although proving this is still part of the certification testing. So any new testing is focused on the core intrusion by the birds, along with run-on requirements. Now, our pilot, we have four pilot hosts, Neil, Jim, George, Mike. Have you had any problems with bird strikes, you guys? Well, I want to start with, first of all, I've had two, one in my early days of, 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 of flight instructing. Took a guy out in a Cessna 172 and over Biscayne Bay encountered a, a bird. Don't know what type it was, but it resulted in a area of the leading edge of that Cessna all the way back to the spar, uh, a, a hole about the size of a football. So, uh, and a Cessna 172 doesn't go that fast, so it must have been a pretty good-sized bird. And uh, it, it didn't, uh, didn't alter any of the uh, flight characteristics of the airplane, got it back to the airport. The second one was out of eastern Maryland, flying over to Dulles after Eastern uh, went under. I uh, got a job as a chief pilot uh, of a little small airline out of Eastern Maryland, and uh, it was Maryland Air. And we flew to Baltimore and Washington National and also to Dulles. And on this particular weekend, beautiful sunny day, uh, it was on a Sunday, you could see clear all, almost from Maryland to Dulles. And we were flying uh, about uh, 3,000, 4,000 feet and uh, in a Piper Lance, which is a retractable geared airplane, seat six people. And I had one person wanting to uh, be uh, taken over to Dulles for his flight, international flight. And he asked me, he was sitting in the right seat in the co-pilot seat, and he asked me, he said, have you ever hit a bird? And he must have seen one somewhere out of the corner of his eye because by the time he said that, smack right in the middle of the windshield came a bird. Now, it didn't break the window, but uh, fortunately he hit right where the two pieces of the windshield came together and there's a strip of metal that uh, riveted and holding the two sheets, uh, the two pieces together. But it really messed up the forward visibility with blood and guts and feather and everything else. I thought by the time I got to Dulles that the bird would be gone. But uh, the fellow that uh, when we parked the airplane at Butler Aviation there came over and had a, a hose and took a while to get the remainder of that bird off that airplane. So that was that were my that was my two encounters with birds in flight. Never in an Eastern airplane, though. How about it, Jim, George, or Mike? You've got. Well, uh, yeah, I, 
I've, uh, I had a trip from hell one day, and one of it, the middle part, but well, the first part took off out of Atlanta going to Denver and couldn't get our flaps up, so we had to turn around and come back in. They had the fire trucks out, big deal about that. I didn't think it was that big a deal, but they did. And we didn't know it at the time, but uh, we hit some buzzards, uh, went through some buzzards on the second takeoff going to Denver. And uh, we just saw them go by. It was summertime. You all see buzzards everywhere. And uh, we went up there and landed. And when the uh, second officer got out and did his walk around, like he's supposed to, uh, he found out that our leading edge device on the right-hand wing had a dent in it. And it had blood and guts all over it. And said, oh, me, we hit a buzzard. We hit a buzzard. And we got out up there and looked on the ladder, and the whole wing was blood and feathers and all that kind of stuff. And I cannot believe passengers sitting out there didn't look out there and see it and wonder what was yeah. going on. But mm-hmm. uh, they didn't. Nobody thought if they did, they scared them too much. They just maybe pulled the windshield down to slide down. <laughs> but anyhow, it, they looked the books. They got the regulations out. There were no cracks in the den. It was about eight inches 10 inches left to right and about three or four up and down and there was no crack in the middle of it and it was only in maybe two inches so they found some regulation said we could fly to Washington and so mm-hmm. we took off it was, you know, two hours late and got to Washington and by that time the curfew had hit and we were not going to be able to land it looked like but when we got up there nobody said anything about a first curfew and with about 15 airplanes I mean about 10 airplanes landed out to and we were the last one, so that mm. worked out pretty good there. They brought a slat up from Miami and installed it. And in my second career, American Transair, after Eastern, I took off out of Aviano Air Force Base in northern Italy on a military charter. We flew, flew through another pack of buzzards. And this time we hit one, and we knew it because it was ingested into the right AC pack inlet in the belly of the 727 where it gets the air makes it pressurization and hot and cold to keep the cabin warm or cold. And it caused mm-hmm. that pack to overheat in about 10 seconds. And the second officer saw it, and we, we didn't feel it hit, but we saw what it did to the pack inlet, and it just just uh, overheated instantly. We had to turn it off. However, the smell of a freshly burned butter <laughs> ain't good. <laughs> I mean, it ain't good at all. It don't make you want a turkey or nothing for a week or two. And uh, and all the passengers in the back end of the cabin got sick, and the air and a jet liner flows in the front to the rear, so we didn't smell too much. We smelled a little of it. Boy, the passengers in the back, they were horrible. Oh, man. Wretched. Well, we made a scheduled stop at Ramstein, and they came out with coat hangers or something, and they would get most of the unfortunate buzzard out of the pack. And so, but it's still, we went to Frankfurt after that. It was still smelling when we landed at Frankfurt. Yeah, I don't know if I they ever bet. got that smell out of that airplane. But that's my two buzzard stories, and I'll stick to them. How about it, George or Mike? Yeah, you know, I, I had a, uh, when I was flying for U.S. Air, I was going from uh, Montreal to Philadelphia, and just at V1, a seagull flew in front of the airplane, and I watched him, and he made a 180 and went back the way he came and went right through the number two engine. Ooh. And like Jim said, it, it you know, the, the airplane, the engine just quit for half a second and then resumed takeoff power. But the smell from the feathers and from the guts, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so we, we wound up uh, landing. Uh, I'm trying to think where we went. We didn't, we didn't go all the way to Philly. 
Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we landed. One, I forget upstate New York. Uh, uh, I forget which airport. But they uh, took them about an hour. They they cleaned out the guts and everything out of the engine, and the en- ran the engine up to full power on the ground, and it was okay. And then we uh, we went on to uh, Philly. But uh, like Jim mentioned, the smell was uh, it was terrible. And then uh, the other the other thing I like to bring up uh, concerning uh, the U.S. Airways flight with Sully was that um, I had been requested if I if, if there was going to be any lawsuits on there if I wanted to uh, be the expert witness on it it turned out that there were none um, but uh, in my investigation I found out I never flew the Airbus the A320 but they have a system on there called FADEC F-A-D-E-C which stands for full authority digital engine control which according to my sources at Airbus has no manual override. So in other words, if the, it, what I was told by the people at Airbus, if the engine detected a certain amount of damage, no matter what the captain did, no matter how far he pushed the throttles up, that the engine would not develop more than uh, idle power, which is what happened to Sully. And um, it, it had, it, had that system, I don't know if it's still on the A320, but had that system not been, not been installed, they probably could have made it back to LaGuardia or possibly even Kennedy with the longer runways. But I, I thought that was very, very interesting yeah. because I never uh, read anything in any of the publications after that about that FADEX right. system. And nobody mm. said anything either. No, nothing was ever reported. No, yeah. that's correct. And it, it, But it's, it was definitely on there. Um, you know, may, maybe uh, the only thing I can think of is that Maybe it didn't come into play. Maybe it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't stop the engine from developing more power. But it would seem to me, from what I studied about and what I found out from Airbus, that it probably would have prevented Sully from uh, getting more power on either one of those engines. Did you ever meet Sully, Jim? I mean, uh, George? Uh, no, I didn't, Neil. He he was, when uh, U.S. Air declared bankruptcy, Chapter 11, they terminated the pilot's defined benefit pension plan, and um, myself and uh, a captain, another U.S. Air captain, and a, uh, his wife, we filed a lawsuit over that, and Sully was a, uh, a plaintiff in the lawsuit. I personally never spoke to him, but I know that the, uh, the, captain, the other captain's wife, Linda, she did, and, uh, you know, he, he's been, if you've seen him on TV, he's been an outspoken uh you know, pilot, uh, yeah. you know, advocate yeah. for where, wherever he speaks on TV, you know, I mean, yeah. if he got hurt just as badly, his ten- his pension was also terminated, you know. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of like Haynes with the uh, United flight, the uh, DC-10, uh, that uh, crashed at uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, he I was quite he, a spokesman, he, yeah. Yeah, he recently passed away, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did, yeah. I met him at Sun and Fun at uh, one of the uh, seminars that they had. The FAA had uh, one year. I forgot when it was, but he was there uh, giving uh, talk about the crew, uh, how they worked together, and and had a video and everything. It was very, very, very interesting. Yeah, Neil, he was uh, our guest speaker at Silver Falcons 
convention banquet, I think, down in Orlando. Wow. And yeah. uh, by God, he and we got a picture of all of us standing up there around him. You know, you had to do that so you can show it to grandkids. Yeah. But he was yeah. a very good speaker, and he had a video uh, presentation that uh, was professionally done, and it was astounding how big yeah. uh, the dents had made in the concrete when they hit the landing gear. And he said they were 10 inches. They knocked up 10 inches of concrete by the landing gear when they hit. That's how hard wow. they hit it, 200-something wow. miles wow. Wow. Yeah, that must Can I make another comment? Yeah, sure. About the electric crash. Can I make something yeah. real quick one about that? I flew the electric, and you may have done too. And I think it's a wonderful yeah. airplane. And they didn't have cockpit recorders back in those days, so they don't know who was flying the airplane. And to, to have a starling a, a is a very small bird, if I'm not mistaken. And they do yeah, come in yeah. flocks. You can see them diving all around with each other. And for one bird to go through that number one engine and cause it to fail, I just found I just cannot believe that that, that engine's not going to get by that. It had to be more than that. But the fact that yeah. they did something to that engine, and I I would surmise that the co-pilot was flying the airplane. And uh, of course, you know how you alternate captain co-pilot, captain yeah. co-pilot. Yeah. And I think he was probably flying the airplane. And I think that seat thing was more of a factor in that crash than the birds were because that sure electric engine, that thing's made, yeah. that's a damn good engine and a good airplane. And to have, you know, one bird and a number one engine and some other bit of my back and go on, keep on going myself. Yeah. But I think yeah. the whole pilot was flying and that had a factor if that seat slid back. Yeah. Mike, how about you? Did you, have you, uh, well, I got a, had a, a few if you got time. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to get Mike's thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually fine. had th- I, I had three in my career, uh, two on a 727, and wow. one on a Gulfstream four. Uh, the, the first one I had was uh, going out of Stansted, England, right at rotation. We were heading to New York with a full load of fuel on board, of course, and right at rotation, a big blackbird hit right on my left side, right on the uh, windshield wiper post. And like Jim was saying, the blood and guts and yours, when you were talking about it, Neil, <laughs> yeah. it, it, we, it stayed on. Everything was working fine, so we just continued on, but it all froze in place. So oh, yeah. we had to look at that. We had to look at all that gawk for about uh, seven and a half to eight hours. And then fortunately, it was raining going into Newark, and so it washed most of it off in the descent. <laughs> so that was one, and then I had another one on uh, on a seven two going out of uh, Champino, Italy, going to England. Right after takeoff, we had a uh, one that it. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what kind of a bird it was, but it it, it hit on the bottom side of the radome and cracked the radome. We didn't know it was cracked until we got to, to England. It had a big had a we had actually had it had the radome changed on it because it was it was split. And uh, so that was another episode. And then I had one on a uh, flying a Gulfstream 4 on the approach going into Athens. We had one that uh, we saw a bunch of birds, and we uh, it sounded like uh, we might, must have hit them. There were so many of them. And so on the number two engine on the uh, inlet cowling, what it did is it glanced on the outside of the cowling. So I put a dent in the cowling. And some had a little streaming of feathers and little guts and stuff on the outside of the cowling, but the engine didn't stop. And then in the other story for Eastern and my maintenance days, I remember we had a DC-863 came into Kennedy, 
on the approach. He hit a seagull and uh, went into uh, number two engine. And of course, it was uh, it was it went in there, and the engine was nice and hot. So when they when they deplaned the passengers and they got the airplane down to the hangar to do an engine change on it because they had to shut it down, like Jim was saying. I mean, that's the smell that came out of that engine. It filled up the whole <laughs> hangar with the stink. <laughs> well, yeah, that's about it. We had a DC nine going into Laguardia one time. It hit, hit a, uh, I guess, a seagull. It went through the uh, right leaning edge, and we had to go over there when I was in uh, maintenance. Uh, had to do some repairs on that. But anyway, keep it long story boring. We'll let, turn it over to another deal. <laughs> I think they ought to put strobes on these birds. <laughs> <laughs> that solved the problem, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, well, that's it. You have a radar comes up and it says GU11 on it, and you know what it is? B1RD. Some of some of the guys I flew with at Eastern, they swore that when they pulled into position on the runway, they would turn the radar on that the seagulls and the other birds around, especially at LaGuardia, that they could detect the radar and they would get out of the way. I don't know if you I ever tried that or that. if you ever heard no. of that. No. No. I don't know about uh, that. No? Yeah. Hey, hey, Neil, can I ask a question for you guys? Yes, sure, Harry. Come right on in. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, did any of you guys ever get into takeoff position? And were either alerted to birds or someone in the cockpit saw, saw birds Harry, and had to delay oh yeah. your your takeoff. Harry, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I've told this story several times in the nine and a half years we've been on the air because I thought it was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. I was captain on a 727 going out of Kennedy, uh, kind of a foggy day. And uh, a Pan American 707 was headed over to Europe somewhere, and he was number one in front of me. So we were uh, right behind him, and we were in position, and the seagull landed on its wing. And uh, we were all sitting there looking at that bird sitting on that wing of that 707. And uh, we wondered just how long it would stay. Sure enough, Pan Am Clipper, he ran his engines up and uh, I guess about 10 or 15 feet, the bird decided he didn't want to go to Europe. So he came <laughs> off the way. <laughs> but it was the funniest sight to see that bird sitting there <laughs> waiting for takeoff. <laughs> and and, and hey, the thing about birds, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Harry. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen either the actual or if you've seen a um, – a, a video or something of it, but uh, when I went with Pan Am first right out of uh, school, I um, was going for my license there. Uh, they showed a video of what we had to do for bird strikes, and what they did was is they brought in frozen turkey, yeah. and they actually threw a frozen turkey in, after this engine was up I I would assume somewhere around 70 or 80 percent and of course there was it didn't have any feathers or anything like that and of course being frozen you don't get that much uh, goop all over the 
But then we had to turn around after that. We had to take a fire hose and spray it in the engine until it was all it looked like it was all cleaned out. And then they had a, a wheelbarrow that had walnut shells in it. And then we shovel walnut shells into the engine to clean all the blades and stuff. Have you ever seen that done? Yeah, they used you to know do that, it on the Electra. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah. Uh, Boy, yeah. it makes a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah, it does. They they had a video on YouTube, I believe it was, and they showed uh, engines being run up, jet engines being run up, and birds uh, fired out of a cannon. And I forgot the size. We used to, I think they used to always tell us it was a four-pound bird, uh, something like that. And uh, but uh, there is a YouTube video. I'm gonna have to look for that. And uh, the way they tested these engines with these birds. But uh, yeah, I I thought you know something that size and frozen would damage the blades and stuff, but yeah, it didn't. Because evidently, you know, it didn't reach the core. Yeah. Uh, I guess enough, or it was chopped up enough. If it did reach the core. Are you sure that was frozen? Because that'd be like <laughs> well, throwing a bowling ball in the intake. Let me yeah. Yeah. That's what I was doing too. <laughs> but, well, um, it was probably plucked and looked like it was frozen. Harry, did you yeah. have something else you wanted to add, Harry? <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, another question for you guys. Uh, and the two incidents we we discussed t- tonight, they were both around major bodies of water. And I, I know Jim talked about the buzzard in Atlanta, but were you guys on a uh, a much more alert for birds when you were on coastal airports as opposed to uh, Atlanta or Nashville or somewhere like that? Or did it make? Well, I remember Washington. I remember Washington National had the cannons, and they were going all the time. And the New York airports, too, out there. Kennedy, yeah. I think they, they had the cannons being fired. I don't think they do mm-hmm. that anymore, do they? I never, personally, no, I, I never, uh, I don't think I saw any more around the coastal than I did, uh, well, Atlanta, you know, down south with the buzzards and everything. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could say that in, uh, uh, I couldn't see Miami, any difference. In Miami, they used a, a county uh, truck to run up and down a runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the winter time, the runway holes heat, and all the seagulls would roost on it all night. Yeah. So they had to run back and forth with the truck to get the birds off of it. Huh. Yeah, Jim. Uh, Jim read the part about the uh, the airplane at Peachtree to Cab. I did have an office there, Jim, and uh, I wasn't there at the time, but uh, mm-hmm. I remember the 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 garbage. Uh, dump that was real close right on the departure end of the runway and mm-hmm. uh you know you know where there's garbage there are going to be these birds these garbage yeah. birds i call them circling around mm-hmm. and uh and uh that was very tragic there at uh at peach street cab yeah well listen guys we've got to uh shut it off tonight a little early I've got an early check-in at the Mayo Clinic for a cataract eyesight, so I'm going to really uh, be uh, uh, keen, have keen eyes in the future. And oh, so, you're going to uh, love them. You're going to love them. I know. Yeah, okay, very good. I'll take your word for it, Jim. Yeah, and, I'm uh, a candidate so, myself. All right, well, I'll tell you how, how it worked out. Well, 
having it done at the Mayo Clinic here in Jacksonville. They do some great stuff here. So, but at any rate, uh, we're going to put the airplane down. Uh, Mark didn't uh, check in with us, so we don't have a new Eastern uh, Well, Mark uh, has written uh, that we had um, August 25th, there was an engine shut down on Eastern Airlines, uh, the oh. 3.0 flight from Ghana to New York. Um, and uh, there was a note on Facebook today that uh, it said, Dear Eastern customers, Eastern Flight 231 from Georgetown to JFK on the 25th of August landed safely and without incident. Unfortunately, there is a false news story circulating online that there was an emergency incident on board our aircraft. This is simply untrue. Flight crew members notified air traffic control and uh, they were managing a technical issue on descent into John F. Kennedy Airport that lasted a few minutes. The matter was resolved within minutes following FAA-approved procedure. The safety of uh, our Eastern team and customers uh, are foremost. Um, uh, so it's basically like that, and they just wanted everybody to know about it. Uh, but I guess it happened uh, on... Uh, at the uh, Shetty Jagan International Airport in uh, Guyana. So he just okay. wanted to mention that. So I guess the uh, Eastern Airlines handled it beautifully and no problem. Very good. Thank you, Dorothy. And now I'm going to turn it over to Captain Hop Harrigan. Hop, you're clear to land. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if I could go out. I'm taking the tower guy's job away from him. And uh, hop. There goes the Stay X4, calling control tower. Stay X4, calling control tower. Standing by. So terrible. We're not going to use the hop here again. I'm going to fire him right now. <laughs> Great landing, huh? Be sure to tune in again next Monday, August 31st, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyberwave with another music and history radio show playing songs of our war years. We hope you'll join us. And don't forget to tune in on Thursday, September the 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for our REPA Radio Hour, stories about pilots of Eastern Airlines. If you've not heard one of these broadcasts, you're really missing out on some great Eastern talk. We had to cancel uh, two of them last two weeks because uh, on the Reef Radio Hour. But we're back September the 3rd with some more great stories from Eastern pilots. Our producer's telling me it's time to say goodbye. So this is Chuck Albright, Eastern Employee 018632, signing off on behalf of tonight's host, Dorothy and Don Gagnon, Mike Scott, 
George Jen, Harry Lindquist, uh, Mark Potter, our producer Neil Holland playing the sign-off music made popular by Merle Haggard, Silver Wings. Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Good night, Eastern family and friends from around the world And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are We love you, Eastern Now all of us on the count of three One, two, three Good night, Eastern Good night, night, Eastern Good night, Eastern Good luck tomorrow, you. Neil. Thanks so much. Yeah, good luck. Yep. Good See luck, Neil. Give Thanks our love to Peggy. Silver wings shining in the sunlight, roaring in jam, somewhere in flight. They're taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Slowly fading out of sight. See you guys. Good night. Good night. Take care. Good night.